The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. The Mr. Nelson Show is brought to you by me, Night Night. Head over to IndiePlanet.com to get your copy of the Night Night comic book so that you can actually see me in action in my one-man war of crime. <laughs> Shut up, Boo! God damn it! I do the announcements. Oh God! No one gives a crap about. I help Night Night fight crime and we blow stuff up no, and, and, and do a lot of damage. <laughs> and, and, and of course, people get mad at us when we do. But well, it's a war on crime, and in every war, there's collateral damage. I mean, well, I guess it isn't one man war because I'm exactly. in a two man war. Anybody, anyway, we're running out of time. Don't miss this opportunity to get your hands on the adventures of Night Night and Boobo. <laughs> Night Night comic book available at IndiePlanet.com. All right, this is the Mr. Nelson Show, episode 465. Imagine that. Well, for this episode, I've got a special treat for you. Uh, I have a guest, uh, Cameron Pasha. He's a writer, screenwriter, uh, the bionic woman. You might have seen it. No, not the original one. He's not that old. <laughs> Although I did watch the original. I loved it. It was one of my great childhood inspirations. Yeah, mine too. Yeah. Uh, the Sleeper Cell worked on that. Roswell. Uh, a multitude of shows. And uh, he's an author of two books, one of which I've read and we'll get into uh with this but right off the bat i came to know uh cameron because of uh, midnight's edge youtube channels like that and doomcock and uh you know it's always great to have somebody from within the uh film and television industry to uh simply ask him what the hell is going on <laughs> over the past i don't know uh, 10 years i guess is the current era of of watching uh, great uh, franchises fall so very far down, and uh, of course, probably the biggest was Star Wars, and then now Marvel, so on and so forth, Star Trek, and all of that. But it's not over yet. I'm not a voice of despair. You know that, right? I know you are, and uh, that's one of the things that you're the eternal optimist, especially when it concerns Star Wars. And I guess we'll just we'll go with that. Uh, I mean, we can we can, and it can parallel some of the things we talk right. about in my novel. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's a specific scene that I see in your, your novel that uh, immediately thought of the Sith. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted that you have that level of memory. You know, as, as an author, we always love when someone cares that much of our book. So we'll get we'll get to it. Yeah. So, uh, of course, Star Wars uh, had the big announcement that there would be new Star Wars and everyone was excited. And the overwhelming response was massive to The Force Awakens, mm -hmm. even at the time that people thought, ah, ah. Well, the next one will get it. And yeah, I mean, that was well, my reaction. I was yeah. very excited. Um, and I, I enjoyed The Force Awakens while I watched it. I laughed right. at moments and I had fun with it. Um, I had, but I did have some structural problems internally just watching it and yeah. you know how they use light speed to break through the shield. I said, Well, there aren't the altering light speed rules. Uh, okay, well, yeah. it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, whatever. And I, but it was the first Star Wars movie that I didn't see twice in a the theater. It's the first right. one. And right. so I, I was I didn't walk away hating it, 
Uh, but I didn't feel compelled to watch it again. And But I said, okay, I'm looking forward to the next one. And then I was very excited about the next one because a filmmaker who I had tremendous respect for, Ryan Johnson, who I, I had loved his work. I, you know, I had gone and seen Looper multiple times, brought friends to see it. Mm, yeah, I thought yeah, that was a really film. creative, interesting film. And uh, and so when it was announced that he was doing the next movie, I was like, here we go. This is it. Go oh, well. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it certainly was it. Yeah, it was it. I mean, I just so many ways that that, you know, this did it. I mean, there's been other films. You know, it's as well, it's like like a good example is Solo, which paid the price for Last Jedi. Yeah, which I've heard, so, I mean, most people seem to find it perfectly fine. Some yeah, enjoy it. I don't hate it. I, hate it. I actually enjoyed elements of it. I didn't have that big of a problem with it. And I actually thought, damn, it's too bad because it's kind of a good setup, you know, uh, for going forward with Darth Maul and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and uh, just well, you know, not going to happen. It, but I, I categorize that one as just kind of the stupid stuff. You know, it had a lot of stupid stuff in it. Well, I mean, Whereas know, Last it, Jedi, it, yeah, is yeah. Cruel. Well, Last Jedi was nefarious. It's, yeah, nefarious. it's insidious, cruel, it was insidious. Yeah. It was intentional destruction. Whereas, yeah, Hans, you know, that solo is just you know, somebody trying to make a Star Wars fan film. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of how I categorize Rogue One. Appears to be their absolute best. Yeah, and uh, with that, that's a fan film too, but it's a very good fan film. I enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, and a distant second would be Solo, and then the rest, well, <laughs> might as well move on. No, might, might as well move on, but, you know, this is, uh, we've been through it, but, you know, and and that was, that that disaster began in 2017, really. The, the disaster, I mean, the you know, for, like I said, you said, Force Awakens, you know, Two billion dollars did great financially, and people yeah. didn't hate it. People didn't hate it. People, largely, the majority of people, hey, that's, uh, enjoyed it, and they were excited about these characters. They want to see where right. they go. Finn was one in particular. People wanted to see where this guy's going to go, and yeah, you know, and so all all this stuff, and and uh, and but in 2017, it, it really went off a cliff that nobody saw coming, and uh, right. and we've been trying to climb back up out of that cliff for some time, and I think people like John Favreau and Dave Filoni have tried, and in the process have made some cred creditable stuff, have made some really good stuff. And, and let me just explain to anyone watching, my mm -hmm. approach, personal approach, it's just my personal approach, my personal approach to Star Wars is that anything after George Lucas sold uh, the IP is fan fiction. Right. Anything made by George Lucas is 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 canon. Uh, right. That to me includes all the original films. That in, that includes to me the EU because he approved it. Right, right. right. I'm you know looking back, I'm fine with midi chlorians. I'm fine with episode yeah, one. Yeah. Oh, it was good stuff. It's all from the heart of the creator, as someone who loved his baby. Right, and then anything after that is is fan fiction. Some of which is excellent fan fiction. I think Rogue One is excellent fan fiction. Right. I think a lot of stuff that that Mr. Favreau has done has been very good fan fiction. I think a lot of the Mandalorian has been very good stuff. I'm excited for the Ahsoka, but it's all fan fiction, you yeah. know. And and that's how I treat it. Uh, some of it is bad fan fiction but that's how i approach <laughs> it's all it's all this isn't coming from the creator himself so this is all of us like we played with toys as children and made our own fan fiction like i did with my luke skywalker you know action figures and i would like to believe some of it was pretty good fan fiction that i made <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well that's the case and that's the situation they were always going to be in uh because now it truly is a star wars brand yeah. and so and which i perfectly understand and respect 
You know, I mean, look, if it was me, yeah, I'd, I'd milk this too. <laughs> uh, but yeah, as far as the artist, the artist creation and whatnot, yeah, it, it, there's a time when it's passed on. And this was his intention anyway, as to have some life for what he made to continue. Obviously, I don't think he intended it to go this way, but I think he's know. been very clear about that. He's been very open yeah. about white slavers and whatever. This isn't yeah. what he wanted. No. And he was he was quite shocked, I'm thinking, you know. And well, I, have, I yeah, I have friends who 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 I don't know the man personally. I wish I did, but I don't. I have friends who, who know him and have interacted with him and and they said to me, and this is a quote again, this is game of telephone. I didn't hear from him directly, but a friend yeah, of yeah. mine who is a filmmaker who knows him claims, claims, I don't know, I wasn't there, claims that Lucas once said, you know, The Last Jedi was a was a soulless movie, and that he but you know, but he couldn't say that publicly because right. you know his contractual obligations, you know, to Disney after the sale. And so he just had to say it's a beautifully made movie which objectively it is a beautifully shot movie it's cinematography is stunning oh yeah yeah story's yeah. terrible but cinematography is beautiful and so he's he very carefully worded it who knows that's a story that's some what someone claimed that they heard George lucas say with their own ears i wasn't there but that's a story so well it's highly credible because <laughs> well, yeah. we do know that he didn't like the force awakens he said look you're just rehashing new hope that's you know mm-hmm. And, and even that. Bob Iger admitted that in his book. So, yeah. Right. Because he kind of says, it's got to look like Star Wars, guys. Put some X-Wing fighters in it and stuff. <laughs> and, you know, that kind of thing. And so, yeah, that's the in, in Last Jedi. Just the main thing, all the stuff of Last Jedi, almost a, a good bit of it I could forgive, except for the destruction of Luke Skywalker. And it's just, you don't understand that character about what he risked everything for a man he didn't really know. All yeah. because he was his father, despite everybody telling him it was impossible, and then he saves him, and then yeah, it, it's a fulfilled journey for him. Uh, right. To go backwards makes no sense. Right. right. To, his to own nephew. The lessons he learned makes no sense. Yeah, his nephew. Well, I had a dark vision about him, so I decided to kill him in his sleep. <laughs> said, again, Luke would that, never do that. All these years later, I mean, none of it was done with logic. This was done with yeah. an obvious desire to to subvert expectations, but also to 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 break apart the archetype of heroism. Right. And we've talked about this now for six years as a community. That's what it was done. It was done with a very nefarious intention. And the end result is a broken fandom, an angry fandom. Yeah. You know, but but I keep hope believing because of the power of Star Wars. I keep believing that there is there is still good in him. There's still good in there. There's still good in him. And and you know, and so there's still good you know within Star Wars. I I refuse to be what I call the, the black pill blobs, you know, the right, black I know. Pill blob <laughs> I, because it's like a 1950s horror movie that just sucks up everything, right? No matter what you say, hey, I was I liked I like the Osoko trailer. No, it's all garbage. I mean, that kind yeah, of blob yeah. no matter you can't it doesn't allow you to ever be happy, just sucks all your light out. So no, there's stuff I like and, and I'm gonna continue to like it. Uh right. just, I don't like, I won't like. And I'll call it out, but I'm not going to pretend that this is all bad. There's some fun stuff here because I'm when I'm enjoying myself. There's times I'm watching some of these Star Wars shows where I'm jumping up and down in my living room, right? right That's right, kind of right. vibe. And then then I will go on YouTube and people are like, ah, I hear that. So I was like, oh, I, I had a good time. Uh, what do you want? I don't know. Yeah, it, it's the loss of objectivity in it. I understand people being burned by it and what's happened and how cruel and mean it got and being accused of being alt right and uh, Russian bots yeah. and all that stuff that went on for over a movie. Speaking uh, of Russian bots, because we're going to talk about my novel, here is a copy of my Crusades novel, which we're going to talk about in Russian. Oh, cool. This is the Russian edition. Uh, you know, and uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's, it's, wow. that, that's cool. Common spelled in Russia, but yeah, that's yeah. what And so, uh, and it's, it's a very lovely cover, and you yeah, know, and very nice. It's, it's my Russian edition, yeah. Well, congratulations. 
but yeah, that's you know the back and forth on that. But there's a lot of things that I don't think people were objectively watching uh, uh, things like that. I, I, I tried to explain why Andor was good. <laughs> it was. It and I I, I, I I liked it. Like my good friend Stephanie Janicek doesn't like it. I right. like it. I, and I don't apologize for liking it. That's the great thing, you know. You can like what you like. We're just all yeah. fans. You can like what you like. I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I liked the politics of it. I I was del- I was delighted uh, to see Mon Mothma back. I think that actress is great. Oh yeah. And I want to see more of her, and I think we're going to see more of her in Ahsoka, and I'm excited about that. That's one of those things where think something like Andor, because the one thing I, ground I conceded on it is that hey, it's it's not Star Wars. Well, it is, but at the same time, it's not what you're used to. It's very different stylistically from the others. But I think yeah, if Star Wars were in so a better, was, if Star yeah, Wars I'm, was I'm in sorry. a better position, this would have been more acceptable to people than it is. And so, it, unfortunately, it got lost and missed by it. But you know, to me, look, I mean, this is what this is the risk that that uh, George Lucas took with the prequels. Let's show mm-hmm. you the politics of the Empire. People grumbled. Oh, is that a, a trade dispute? Star Wars isn't yeah, about trade <laughs> disputes, right? In the opening crawl, what is this crap? But he's trying to show us what is this midichlorian stuff. He's he's trying to show us. Well, look, all Luke knows is a little bit of crap he heard from Obi Wan about the Force. But we would think over ten thousand years that they, they, they have developed a science about it, at least, or something that's close to a science to right. understand it. And that's knowledge. And so that's for them, midichlorians, all this stuff, politics and chancellors and senates and, you know, motions to dismiss. This is the world they're in. And to me, I was, you know, when I approached it more maturely, because I didn't enjoy episode one the first time. And right. now I've come to appreciate it. Right. I've come to appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I, I really like the second two, two movies, two and three. But one, I now see its value, especially seeing the current sequels. I see its value. And, <laughs> and that and that's what they're trying to do with Andor. I mean, that's that's what they're trying to do. Look at the internal politics of the empire. How does how does a, a rebellion get funded? I I, I was actually more interested in the Mon Mothma stuff than I was in the Cassian Andor stuff, right? Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. The politics of it, yeah. And then, uh, uh, is it Sarsgaard? I'm always getting his name wrong. Yeah, yeah But uh, his performance is powerful in it, uh, especially, it, it. it's another thing about the truth of war and how dirty it is. Yeah. And uh, he's like, you know, what have I sacrificed? And <laughs> everything, you know, that, well, I mean, that was... It. That's and and that you know and you can approach that because you know what I didn't like with the Last Jedi's complete deconstruction of heroism and good and evil, right? Right. Uh, what's whole like, well, you know, they're they're buying weapons from they're selling weapons to both sides. Right? It's like, okay, yeah, that's fine. All that is true, but it's not advancing the story. It's holding it back. Whereas looking at the darkness of of what is behind uh, uh, organizing a, an actual insurrection, a rebellion. Yeah. is interesting and it advanced the characters right uh and, you know I, they did that in in rogue one as well cast nandor is a you know he's a brutal guy and we get to see how he's become that guy so i thought that was that's all within star wars that's within the the rubric of of um the moral choices we make that lead right. us down to corruption that's fair and his redemption comes you know at the end you know and it's like han solo you know he was a criminal and he becomes a hero you know that kind of thing is the redemption path for your heroes and we know? remember we all were so happy about the thing that that and we were set that lucas change it han shot first the yeah. initial version of it han is a ruthless merciless killer i yeah. mean greedo is just trying to buy, get paid greedo greedo's like you pay me i'm going to go away he could have paid him. He just shot him. He just shot yeah. him. So, and, and then Lucas like, oh, I don't want to be like that. And we all were upset about that. I'm like, so we, we can't. Have, now you're saying you want this like ruthless, murderous character, uh, you know, but but they can't have this darkness and later stuff. Come on. Yeah. 
Yeah, it just doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. And it, it's better that he's that far gone. Yeah. So the salvation that he achieved, you know, is like Luke and Leia saved him. You know, he sees all this. He's seeing, you know, the good side of the force, you know, which is always an analogy for God, really. <laughs> That's what it is. But anyway. The light side of the yin-yang symbol. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, you are more optimistic than I am, although I agree that narratively speaking, all of these franchises can be saved. It's just how big of the appetite is there? And if, if there's enough rest time when something big hits and it's really good, will they come back? And that's why I'm just, I don't know. I think, I think normies, a normal people will come back. Yeah. I don't want yeah. You can get disrespect. Them. I mean, my sister enjoys star Wars. She actually had this conversation with me recently. She's like, look, I liked star Wars. I didn't like these sequels. Why are you so fanatical fighting these sequels? And I, was like, I said, because it's about my experiences in Hollywood and working with people that really do have a, sort of ugly ideology of deconstruction of morals right i've worked with right. people like that and and they were the, they were the minority in writers rooms 20 years ago when i started then they became the majority and now they're changing culture in ugly ways so that's what i'm fighting but my sister is, is a normal person who will can say i don't like the sequels they're they're, they're not good i like the other stuff it's it, but she'll come back to anything that's good that's true uh so yeah and it, it can be reinvigorated i'm just I'm kind of wondering what the overall plan is, having watched Mandalorian uh, this season. Well, I think uh, the plan remains the same. I think the plan is the. I mean, the plan. I mean, we'll see how it plays out. But I've been hearing yeah. for three years now that that Ahsoka was planned to at least potentially create an alternative timeline, whether it's to race the sequels or not. It's definitely to create an alternative timeline where we can develop stories outside of the framework of these sequels and develop an alternative version of events, which, you know, the current rumor that's floating around today, which I just wrote about on the Patreon, I which, it, I think, yeah. Yeah, which, which I think is quite possible, maybe even probable that this, this, that the, um, that the announced Dave Filoni film is going to be titled heir to the empire. If that's right. what happens, then that's a, you know, I don't think he will directly adapt the original Zahn novel, which is a brilliant novel. Yeah. You really but can't. I think, yeah. Yeah. Especially because he's already created elements that don't fit that, but also he's created elements that don't exactly fit the sequels. So, so yeah. he's already creating a third timeline and let's see where he goes with it. But that suggests to me that he's off doing his own thing and, and God bless him. If that's what he's doing. I think that's, I'm pretty convinced that is exactly the title that it will be because what I'm seeing there, and I thought maybe the plan was to actually do the backstory that the sequels needed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because if you, could, if you could get us to yeah. this person somehow, I'll, I'll go with you. But you didn't get us there. Yeah. The problem is, is it's still the sequel trilogy. So I think, and then it's because it's one of these interviews that Favreau gave and this. Yeah, 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 he'll get there and then we'll go forward, you know, move yeah, but, but on else beyond it. But what else is say? I mean, how much does that mean? I don't know. Yeah, you I mean, Captain he's got to say what like, he's got to yeah, say. Yeah, I'm going to get rid of my boss's uh, prize. You can't say that. Yeah, no, you can't say it. You can say that. But I heard three years ago from a very, I mean, a very famous screenwriter who's made Marvis Marvel movies, big shot, big, big dude who knows all these characters. I don't know a lot of these people. He knows these people personally. And, yeah. and he told me three years ago, oh, John and Dave are already have a plan to use Ahsoka to reset the timeline and erase the sequels. He told me that three years ago before that was even a narrative in, in the world. And this guy's a, this guy's a, I, I would love to have his career. He's a very successful screenwriter who hangs out with these people. So that's at least been an idea they've had for a while. Yeah, obviously, because it's sitting there. It's just sitting right there. We've all seen the cartoon. They reveal that. Yeah, it, and we see it, that it the Veil of the with, Force is yeah. in we, the Veil of the Forces. We've seen it in the poster. We now see it in the trailer. The Veil of the Force, which is a dimensional doorway to other timelines, is part of the show. Right. It's right there if you want to take it. 
And it's, you know, it, and if that's the direction, I think that would go a long way. Uh, that would certainly be uh, the excitement for it would generate a lot just to say that, oh, look what they just did. You know, some it might even be a brief scene in the Ahsoka series, but everyone's going to know what it is. Well, <laughs> I, I will tell you suggests, this, you know, but I have certain sources that I've mentioned that are that are inside Disney slash Lucasfilm. And they did, I think I put it on the Patreon, my my infamous source that not everyone believes and fine, you don't have to believe them. Okay. I've met the guy who could be a woman. I've met or could be multiple people. I've met the person. I'm using right. guy genetically. I've met the, I know who they are. I know why, you know, what their role is in the company. I know why they're why they're leaking to me. I know all that. So they 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 said to me, uh, you know, just just a couple of weeks ago, I think I put on Patreon that, you know, that that all that that's a second uh because they they've they've seen the scripts for both seasons of Ahsoka and uh and they've given me a lot of details which I've not put out publicly because I don't want to spoil them, right? Right, right. Uh, I, 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 there's a lot of details like, oh wow, that sounds like a great story, right? That's what they're doing. And uh but the one thing that, that I did put out is that uh is even in season one, altering the timeline through the the veil of the force is a plot line. That you somebody is trying to change the timeline. Uh, I mean, right now, I will, I right. will say, I, they're not going to be changing the uh, the sequel timeline. In the, as long as Kathleen Kennedy's there, they can't do that, right? Because she's the boss, <laughs> right? They can't, even if it's nominal, she's the boss. So, but they are other characters are trying to use the veil of the force to change the timeline of the Star Wars history that we know, right? That's official. Right. That's part of the plot, and then Ahsoka is trying to stop them for her reasons. So, what if that's already? the plot of the first yeah. two seasons that people are using time travel to alter the star Wars. We know you can pull that trigger for the sequels anytime that, that it's safe to do so. Cause it's already the plot line of the show. And, and it would have, it would have to be because Ahsoka herself, her own existence at this point, at this age is because of the veil of the forest. <laughs> she got right, rescued because from she's supposedly dead in yeah. the timeline we've been given with her voice as a force ghost voice in, in the rise of Skywalker you yeah. know, she's supposed to be dead, which I'm sure Dave Filoni didn't appreciate that no. his character was killed without <laughs> no. his permission, right? And right. so already the timeline, you know, you know, if she's going to have to survive, she's going to have to change how things flow. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. that's just what, and I, it's his, it's his baby. It's his character he's working on for over for what over ten years now. Oh, probably longer than that. I think 12, 13 yeah. years. I mean, yeah, something like that. Him, he just wants her to be a random voice fading in the echo. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Oh, put Ahsoka in there. Everybody's got to be there because Ray's all the force or some such. Well, and after and, I look, as artist, this is my novel. Yes, um, that's the one I read. This is my baby. It's yeah. my child, right? And I don't like it if someone, you know, tries to erase my child. I mean, you treat, these are your babies. They come out of yeah. you. And if someone disrespects your work uh, or minimizes it, it hurts very deeply. I, I if, And that's one book. Imagine a guy who spent well over a decade of his life creating this really fascinating character yeah well now we have uh certain uh editors now who say well, you know we got to fix these books <laughs> you know great works of love <laughs> because it, oh it's problematic and what well, yeah you know <laughs> everything is problematic because everything is yes, so that's life a human being who wrote it who has their human prejudices you know you yeah. go back the iliad is problematic man the odyssey yeah. is problematic you you know you go back the arabian nights is totally problematic i mean, <laughs> I, I mean the, the shahrazad you know a, you oh, know there's, yeah. there's, there's this the misogynistic sultan that's killing women you know and shahrazad is basically trapped in there and telling stories to stay alive and and 
and then you know you got and there's there's a lot of sexuality in those things that was that was wacky in the ninth century when they were running their wacky today and yeah. there's a lot of like you know let's just say the black man seduces the white woman art that's in the arabian nights you know this all the, <laughs> all this racial stuff is there it's all problematic because human beings are problematic and yes. historians reveal who we are at the moment we're telling them yeah, maybe one day, but see, they're perfect, Cameron, you understand? And we're the mere mortals. <laughs> Whatever, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, but uh, so another point about it, it was unfortunate for something like Andor that gets missed because everyone's so mad and won't give it a chance or anything. Uh, over at Marvel, mo just about all the D-plus shows they did uh, were pretty bad. Uh, some had great opportunity. I think WandaVision was a... Great missed opportunity when and Feige himself admits proudly that he sabotaged it. <laughs> and then uh Falcon and Winter Soldiers. I really wish that had been on par with uh the Captain America Winter Soldier movie, yeah, I but, think is their it, best had, movie. Yeah, uh, and so and, and they, they just they couldn't do it. Out. Yeah, they but, could. But you know, as I've said before, the only show that I really enjoyed out of the Marvel MCU post uh, Endgame was Ms. Marvel, which right. ended up, in my opinion, being a phenomenal, family-friendly, funny, heartwarming show that I could watch with my mom. And, yeah. and people of all cultures and religions bothered to watch it. We're like, hey, so this, this is the kind of stuff we were talking about what we wanted. <laughs> family-friendly, no sexuality, no just... I mean, they don't even kiss in the show. There's a romance. You don't even get to kiss, right? Because it's all taboo, yeah. right? It's a yeah. conservative Muslim family. And, you know, that's the humor of it. How do you be a Muslim superhero when your mom doesn't want you wearing tight leggings, right? Right, right. Yeah, I know. That. Well, she's, so I'm going to make your suit. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's yeah. Still, yeah. <laughs> that. Okay, and, mom. And, and it worked. And I'm still sad that, that so many people on the fandom haven't watched it a year later yeah. still won't watch it still repeat the same mantra it wasn't made for me i think like, wasn't that something brie larson yeah that's brie larson's angry about <laughs> it wasn't made for you and now you're saying it and so it's just like well i mean well i'm sure it's, it's you're sure what just watch the thing watch the first yeah. episode and you'll get pulled in and and you'll be like why can't we make more of this stuff see the ms marvel that's like like i said the example was uh with andor is the same thing is that no one gave it a shot no one watched it they never gave it i intended to watch every one they produced and i said i'll give my objective view to it and i compared it to a show called star girl that they did over at warner's and it's very similar it's these teenage girls who get powers star girl was very well received it was a good show it's good it didn't get viewers it's gone Yeah. But very similar, the family thing, the respect for her stepfather and that struggle she had with it was really well done on that. And it was, it was nice. And so I thought, you know, if they approach that with Ms. Marvel, they might have something. And lo and behold, that's pretty much what they did. Uh, you have uh, basically a, a, a sitcom, family sitcom type thing going on it's there. It's 80s sitcom. It's like yes. a hard 80s sitcom. <laughs> yeah. It's not even a modern sitcom with, with, no, with, with no. kids talking back to their parents. That's not what it is. <laughs> no. Uh, the parents actually stole the show most of the episodes uh, in quite yeah, a they're, they're few. Part of it. And it's because of this that I'm going to watch the Marvels. I didn't bother to watch, you know, Captain Marvel, right? Yeah. Uh, the whole thing just <laughs> turned me off. The whole her approach to it turned me off. Yeah. And But I'm going to watch this for this family and this character yeah. because they're so good. Yeah, so it might have something to it. it I'm not seeing a whole lot there. I'm, but well, I don't know. Again, I don't they show know. Up. 
right. well, the trailer is when when the, when the Pakistani family shows up, the trailer comes alive. Yeah, I know. <laughs> gone, it's, like it's, generic it's, you know, it's like, oh, look, it's them again. You know, yeah. so that's the thing I was trying to get. It's like yeah. talk to other people about it. it. Says, look, I'm objectively looking at this. I had no interest in. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially the comic book character, which, by the way, they just killed her off. So I, I'm sorry oh, to break the news. They killed off Marvel? They, they killed, killed off. I mean, she'll be back. I yeah. mean, what they're probably going to do is resurrect her with the new powers that she has in the TV show, which, granted, are superior to the ones she has. In the comic. Well, but that's so, the thing. People, the, the show is better. I mean, I haven't read much of the comic, and the show is better than the comic from what I've heard from my friends who are it is. the comic. <laughs> it it's is. better than the comic, and it also avoids the comic eventually went down the, the wokey political nonsense. Yes. And But the thing is, it's it wisely the show avoided that because the main actress, Iman Vellani, she sells this version, the family-friendly, fun, cute little girl who, you know, wants to respect her parents and still be a good Muslim girl while still trying to save the world. She sells it. She's so adorable. She can't sell radical activists. That actress don't have that's not her. Yeah, it's not her for that. <laughs> I know. I was I was quite charmed by the, the few interviews. She actually was quite critical of Captain Marvel. <laughs> I imagine they got to it. Hey, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't all that excited about her. Something like that. Well, I mean, look, but she's just being that, real, you know. She's and, being real, and I, you know, I, I feel bad for Brie Larson having to share t- screen time with <laughs> with I- Iman Vellani because yeah. Iman Vellani eats up the screen. You you love her so much. You're like, and and then you've got this other actress who I think is a fine actress who just she is. If, yeah. if she yeah. gets off this like pale face, angry face nonsense that she's been playing with this character, but now yeah. she's created it, and now she has to, being outshined by this 20-year-old girl. <laughs> with, like, I mean, no acting experience. This girl, this other woman is an Oscar. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and she's being outshined by this little kid. Yeah, yeah. Plus, there's also the other, the actual original female Captain Marvel, <laughs> the Monica Rambeau character. Yeah, which they finally admitted, oh, the original was black. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> when like, I was a kid reading comics, that. that was Captain Marvel too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's like doing Black Panther with a white guy first. And oh, well, let's do oh, Black Panther yeah. with the African dude. Let's do that, right? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm glad <laughs> you remember. completely forgot all about it. Or <laughs> didn't look, oh, I know the stories. No, you don't. So... Yeah. So but let's try to retcon that and fix it. Well, but see, that's Hollywood. That's Hollywood's what I call, you know, progressive racism. You know, it's like, you know, <laughs> it's they don't even earn out. They're not even it's something. It's actually this is a comment. I believe it was. I think it was Chris Rock that made this comment. Uh, it could have been Chappelle too. So, you know, the African-American conservative, you know, comics or at least are considered conservative by Hollywood because of the topics. they. By their standards. I, yes. Yeah. But, but I think but Chris Rock, I think, is the one that said this. Uh, Chris Rock, I believe, said to uh, Barack Obama when he was first running for president, he did, went to some Hollywood mixer. Oh, I was throwing all his money at him or whatever. And Chris Rock said in an interview that um, he turned as, you know, as, as everyone's shaking, you know, Obama's hand. Like, wow, this is amazing. We never met a guy like you before. He said, I said to turn to Brock and I said to him, understand something. The, and this is all Hollywood rich people crowd, right? These people are all racist. They're the nicest racist you're ever going to meet. They don't know they're racist. They're not aware. It's like it's like the sixth sense. He doesn't know he's dead. They're completely, right. <laughs> they see what they want to see, right? And they're walking around not being aware that they're racist. He's like, they have no idea. And they're the nicest racist you're ever going to meet. That's Hollywood. Yeah, that's and it becomes clearly apparent by a lot of this stuff when they were doing the virtue signaling and uh, this neo-tokenism and whatnot. Uh, When I always thought 
if you're really serious about this, explore these other uh, folklore that you're unfamiliar with. These are all new stories and whatnot. And I thought when you mentioned that the idea of pushing for, uh, you know, a thousand and one nights, I thought, yeah, there you go. That could be a new Game of Thrones type thing, you know, and all that. I've got I've got one. I've got a pilot. I've got a pilot written from Scheherazade's point of view. Right. And she's yeah. like inventing all the stories like a usual suspects. Right. To get through all these adventures. She is so good. Whatever. God willing, that will get made someday. But, yes, I've been developed my own version of that. Yeah. But, but again, I've been I developed it. It's not sold yet, has it? I mean, I sold it to a producer. The production company bought the script outright, but they haven't yet been able to get it made. And, yeah. uh, you know, and that's that's the whole thing is this, you know. Yeah, we recently had this movie about the Ogoje warriors of West Africa, right? Everyone's like, oh, we got these 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 African fighting women. And then, of course, they choose a story where the African fighting women are the ones that enslaved all the black, you know, their tribesmen who sent them to America on these ships, right? These The Ogoje are the reason we had, you know, the slave trade, right? right. <laughs> they, were the, they were the slave trade enforcers, right? So, of course, what does Hollywood choose? There's other female warriors. You know, yeah. I can tell you, you know, in I have a project about the Taj Mahal, about the love story of the Todd Boss, the first movie I ever sold to Warner Brothers, still sits there in the library, unmade, right? But, you know, one of the things I discovered, the harem of the Mughal emperors who built the Taj Mahal, right? The harem was guarded by these beautiful African Ethiopian women that were, were kick-ass soldiers that were brought in to guard these Indian women in the harem, right? Yeah. And uh, and so they're... I want to learn about them. That's an interesting. You want to find out about these warrior women in black African women in medieval India as warriors. That's just, there's a story. That's there. a I mean, whole cool thing there. Yeah. That would. Yeah. Yeah. But is Hollywood aware of it? No. no. Right. And they don't want to be aware of it. They just want to slap job stuff and then pat themselves on the back right. and, you know, right. and then call everybody else racist or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, <laughs> okay. Uh, so finally, I, <laughs> Your book that I did read. Sorry for being a slow reader. <laughs> no, I pre I, it means a lot to me that you read it. It's like, again, yeah. someone who loved your baby took the time to read it. Thank you. Another project that I think you would have liked to have seen on screen. Uh, well, it was based on a screenplay. The the novel, my novel, which I'll show again, the Crusades novel, Shadow of the Swords, which you can Shadow get on. Shadow of the Swords, Amazon, yes. Nobles, right? uh, that, This novel was based on one of my earliest screenplays that I wrote. And so, and then as I understood it, uh, this was at the time that you were inspired to do it, especially after the events of 9-11 and whatnot, yeah, and the attitudes 11th. towards uh, uh, Islam. And then, of course, the uh, the Crusades and everything is the, well, that's the big wars that happen, you know. Well, I, I and, wrote this thing on purpose. It was written in, in April of uh, 2022, so I'm sorry, April 2002, so yeah, that's yeah. six, you know seven months after the September 11th horror, right? right? And I wrote this because I wanted to say the the problem that we as human beings are facing, it isn't that Islam is the enemy. Certainly, I'm a Muslim. Islam is not the enemy, right? Yeah. But it, the problem is, it is religious fanaticism, extremism, lack of empathy, lack of humanity. That is the fundamental problem. And this exists worldwide and existed throughout history. Uh, it exists especially in, amongst peoples that are feeling disempowered at a moment in history, right? Where right. they feel like they're being overwhelmed by another culture. So I said, let's go back 1,000 years and, and history is flipped. Where you have the Islamic world as the world's dominant civilization, the most advanced civilization, scientifically, mathematically, artistically. And then Europe at the time is just is in the dark ages. It's, in, it's a backwater, right? Yeah. Uh, and they are... Physically terrified, the, the Muslims are going to take Europe because they're technologically superior civilization, and they are resentful that this this other culture has 
is technologically superior to them, literally superior to them, right? And so th the response to that is the Crusades, which is an act of complete barbarism, even by the standards of that time, right? <laughs> yeah. They were using cannibalism and other horrible terror tactics. The Crusaders were doing terrible things, like going to villages and killing people and eating them, right? As a terror <laughs> tactic to spread word. This is what you're going to do to you, right? And this is barbaric by the standards of the of the 12th century. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> this was terrorism. This was war. I mean, right, and, right. So, and this was also a time when Jews and Muslims were very close communities and allied together. And they're facing this threat of terrorist barbarians from this uncivilized, uncouth world taking away civilization. Parallel to how many people perceive the Muslim world and maybe, maybe still today perceive it today as this backwards culture that's going to one day be or is today a living threat to to the advanced culture of the West. Right. So yeah. it's just, you just flip it. And and I wrote the novel intentionally to mirror everything that's happening because it could be mirrored. And then you have two characters, uh, the the doctor who I'm always, is it, is it Maimonides or Maimonides? Uh, Maimonides, who is his Maimonides, yeah. He's one of the most famous rabbis of Right. And recognize this never do how to spell. Maimonides. I mean, that's. There's that's hospitals the, named the, after him and all that's that. That's the yeah. year. Yeah, that's right. That's the year. Maimonides Hospital in Brooklyn is where, uh, right next to Exactly. Right. Yes. Yes. But but that that's how his name is pronounced in Europe, sort of Greekified. And he was Ibn Maimun. He was actually uh, a Jewish rabbi, one of the greatest rabbis of all time, scholar. And yeah. he was actually he grew up in the Islamic world. He grew up in Islamic Spain. He was he was born, I believe, in Cordoba, in, in Moorish Spain. He went from Cordoba to North Africa to Egypt and from there to Palestine. And he became the uh, the the direct doctor and personal friend of the Muslim king Saladin, who's the who's the Muslim hero of the story. But he was a major historical figure. And his name was Ibn Maimun in Arabic, right? He spoke Arabic. He wrote right. all of his, his great Jewish treatises, which are still studied today, right, in Arabic. Right. And so yeah. so that was his name. Maimonides was sort of the Europeanization of that name. Yeah. And then there's uh, Sir William, who was a fictional character, right? Or fictional like... character, but based on a real Sir William, uh, there was Sir William Marshall, who was a real uh, knight in 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 uh, in Richard the Lionheart's army. I chose to fictionalize him because, uh, in you know, events happened to Sir William in my novel that did not happen to William Marshall. <laughs> and I wanted to have the freedom to have those events happen so I could stray from the history. But, but they were similar characters. William Marshall was a noble knight of the Crusaders, working for Richard the Lionheart, and lost faith in in Richard. Thought this guy's this guy's a bad guy. Why am I why am I fighting for this guy? Right. Yeah. So that's like you had him. And so it's, it's interesting the counter between him and the rabbi is like he he never I never thought that one of these guys could be because he was the real Christian. He was the one who realized that well, this is what are we doing? You know, there's no well, point that's to exactly this. It. And, and and uh, and of course, poor poor guy. You know that's how it is. His loyalty to Richard is what he was his friend, but it was also his king. And he, but to a fault, he's you know, and hoping maybe he can save him and that sort of yeah. thing. But, uh, but ultimately, you know, but that's no. you know one of the th the things. Even when I wrote the story, whether it was a screenplay form and then the final novel version, uh, it was important to me too that it would be very balanced in the sense of very respectful towards Christianity as a religion, right. because obviously. I'll great respect for Christianity as a religion. And uh, it's, I wanted Christians to read the book and go, this guy's not attacking my faith because I'm not right there. There, you know, there's, there's a central scene in there where uh, in the novel and in the original screenplay, but in the novel where rich, where Richard the Lionheart, the, the, the aggressive terrorist King who's leading all, <laughs> he's killing women and children left and right, which is what he did. Right. He was, he was pretty quite brutal. And he has this vision where he sees Christ on the cross Right, right. Ice tells him, you know, what are you doing? Why are you doing all this? Why are you killing all these kids? What are you? And he's like, well, I'm doing this for you. 
And then Christ says to him in the vision, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to do this for me. My victory is this moment, the crucifixion, right? This is my moment of victory. I've won. I've defeated evil. You don't have to do any of these things. And that moment, that vision haunts Richard throughout the novel because that's the voice of Christianity saying Christianity isn't about killing little children. It can't be, right? right. And if you think it is, then you don't know Christ. Like Christ said in the, you know, in the Gospel of Matthew, you know, there are many that will come and, you know, who call me Lord, Lord, and I'll say to them, depart from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Right yeah. there in the Gospels. And so I wanted to make that. And my Christian friends really appreciate it. This is a novel about extremism versus reason and ethics. And then you have to have a Christian character who also reflects reason and ethics, which is William. But it's also the great choice of when it comes to the Crusades, the uh, the, the sparring between Richard and Saladin is it's the most exciting of the band because they're two incredible uh, characters. And plus, the, the the narrative of it has always been like when Saladin finally confronts uh, mm -hmm. Richard, he's like, "Well, here's an actual match." Where he's he, there was quite a few screwballs and idiots that he. Yeah. He outsmarted, and one of them just, uh, I forget the guy's name, is one of the leaders of the Temple Knights. Well, Con Conrad of Montferrat, yeah, he was a historical character. Yeah, yeah. and uh, uh, walked right him. into yeah. a trap, you know. <laughs> it's just yeah. solid as, like, sick of the guy. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and so, yeah, and, and that, you know, there's a... So, you know, the novel, without revealing all of its secrets, I think, I hope people will read it, because I think most people really see like it when they read it. I think it's a yeah. book, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, it is. And it really follows the history. I mean, uh, it, it's amazing. People like, did that really happen? I was like, yeah, it really happened. I'm just, I just. Oh, yeah. The descriptions of how nasty things were. <laughs> and also just the, just the twists and turns of, of, yeah. of the, of the war. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I didn't have to make anything. Else. I was like, this battle happened and this surprise happened. And this guy assassinates this dude. And then you're like, well, I don't have to make any of that up. That all happened, right? <laughs> yeah. But, but there is the novel. I will reveal this culminates. It's something a moment you're all waiting for because the novel is. Richard and Saladin in this war, the kings of the, you know, you know, the Christians, the Muslims fighting for the Holy Land, and they are in two separate camps, you mm -hmm. know, and they have a spy that is working for one, right. <laughs> which is interesting, right? But then two separate camps, and then they have this climactic battle, uh, which happened historically, uh, you know, where the future of 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 the the Holy Land would be would be determined, mm -hmm. and in in the climax of that battle the novel culminates with an actual epic uh, meeting between Saladin and Richard. Finally, they've been waiting for this whole novel. They've been separate the whole time. Right. They're seeing different points of view and then they finally meet. And even that is quite possibly historical because there was a period of one night historically where both Richard and Saladin vanished in their own historical annals. Neither the people in neither camp had any idea where the Kings were. They vanished and nobody knew right. where they were. So many people, historians have theorized that they met privately to resolve the situation. And, you know, the way my scene goes, it's not exactly. Right. Right? <laughs> it's a oh, it's quite. a wish fulfillment because you kind of want them to. You know, yeah. you, you explore those stories. He's like, yeah, yeah and, it would be cool. And it's certainly plausible it because they did happen. Happen. I don't know. But. It's likely they met. It's likely they met because after that, the issue did come to a resolution after that night. Uh, and I come up with what I think is a very interesting way of how that was resolved between them. Uh, but that's the culmination of the story. And, uh, and I think it works because uh, for me, it was talking about every war is just a conflict between two men. 
and two men can resolve it if they talk face to face and be honest, right? About what right, is what, right, right. Yeah. What is it that each wants, right? And that's all right. Now I'm going going through a war right now with the Writers Guild versus the the studios, right? And there, why is there no resolution? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. nobody's meeting. <laughs> Ultimately, every every conflict, including labor versus management, is resolved when two people who are the people behind. There's always behind all this stuff. There's always two people, right? Even if there's a hundred people surrounding those two people, each conflict is about two people. You know, Putin versus Zelensky. Yeah. There's a hundred thousand people around these people. There's two guys who can resolve this, and maybe, and maybe they're not the guys. Maybe those are the figureheads, right? And the real two people are people in the shadows that can resolve this. But ultimately, there's two people that resolve it, and uh, and that's where the novel culminates. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, Richard wanted the throne back home. This uh, Jerusalem was just going to be a notch on the belt. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was part of his trying to prove to his father that he was he could be the king. His father never, never believed he could be, right? That's yeah. the journey of Richard psychologically in my novel. For Saladin, I think that the journey is actually for more complex because if you if you've called the novel, you may not have noticed this. It is told from multiple points of view, but you never see Saladin's point of view, like his character narrating as until oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Until one chapter just before the final battle, he goes to the Dome of the Rock alone. Mm. And talks aloud to the to the rock, you know, the sacred rock in the Dome of the Rock, right? Right, right. And talks aloud to it, and that's where he reveals all of his fears and insecurities. And because this whole time, both sides, both his followers and his enemies, have lionized him as this ultimately grand sultan, noble, ethical guy. Who's, yeah, he's a superhero. You know, he's a superhero, and even the, even the Crusaders admire him. Right? Oh, yeah, they, yeah. Totally, they admired him. They 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 really liked him. They didn't want to fight him, but they had to. And uh, that's in their own accounts that they, they thought this is a very noble adversary. Uh, I wish our king was as good as this guy, right? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and so, but he's put up on this pedestal. And then you finally, in that chapter, you see the man behind the, the superhero is just as scared as everybody else. He he doesn't, this is all this season over his head. This is his whole life. He's been building to this moment, this final conflict that he could lose. And everybody thinks he's a superhero who's going to solve this. And he doesn't know that he can. And, you know, and that's the moment of vulnerability finally you see in him. It's like, because history has still lionized as Saladin. It still lionizes him. I'm like, that's too much pressure on any human being. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, well, well, the scene that I was just talking about that said reminds me of the Sith. Was when okay, let's a, get to how it reminds you of the Sith. Tell me. There's a plot uh, to kill Saladin. Uh, yeah, Saladin, where... Uh, if people don't know the assassins, where we get the name from, the, the you know the yeah, cultic killers, right? They so real, one of them is real. depicted here, and the way you crafted it is like it's very much like a Sith Lord is being contacted to deal with it. <laughs> well, the the assassination it's, attempt against Saladin by the assassins, the Hashkashin, is mm, historical. It happened, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And and they actually they spared him. They could have killed him. They right. the, they the left a they left a dagger in his bed or something. They left a dagger in his bed. They basically. Right. He woke up, and these yeah, Hashim were incredible covert operators. That's why we remember them as the assassins, right? Yeah, and yeah. They were incredible. I mean, they were the ultimate special ops people of their time, and maybe even of today, because they're like ninjas. I mean, they they basically right. they were able to get into his bedroom, past all of his guards, past all everybody, yeah, yeah. and and he wakes up, and there's a Hashim with a dagger at his throat, right? Yeah. And and he leaves the dagger there because the old man of the mountain, the sort of historical and mythical figure behind the assassins, right? Just said, I want you to know you only live because I'm letting you live. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Later adapted into. I can uh, get you anytime I want. 
it, it was in seven, you know, David Fincher used that, right? He's like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because I'm letting you live. I let you live, right? I let you live. Yeah. And so he yeah, but that's historical. That's what that's what the Hashashin did. And so, but then in my novel, there is this moment where the 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 great rabbi, right, meets in in secret with the old man of the mountain, the head of the assassins, because he has his own agenda. Now Saladin sees this guy, the old man of the mountain, as an even greater threat. And that guy's a fellow Muslim from another sect, but he's a fellow Muslim, and he's an even greater threat than Richard the Lionheart. Right, he's right. Is, is, is scared of this guy, right? He's actually yeah. scared of this guy. And then you have this great moment where they meet, and the, the rabbi, who's one of the most famous rabbis of Judaism, greatest philosopher, one of the greatest thinkers, right? And you have this this leader of this particular sect of this Ismaili Islam, which still exists today, and is, is not is not known for its violence. It's actually quite a peaceful and and successful sect, uh, you know. Today. Well, they've mellowed with age. <laughs> Well, yeah, and they found they found their path, and they're doing yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, one of the Rita Hayworth married one of the Ismaili imams. You know, Rita Hayworth. Oh, that's right, I forgot. Rita about Hayworth that. Yeah, Rita. She married the son of the current Aga Khan, who is the Ismaili <laughs> imam, the head of that sect. Right? She. Oh, I mean, that'll calm anybody's heart. They married. They, they, they're doing well. They marry movie stars. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but you know, this ancestor of theirs was a really scary, powerful. Yeah, guy. yeah, right. And, and so you have this moment where where he explains. Why what he's doing, because the rabbi, even though he's meeting the guy for his own agenda, doesn't like him, thinks of him as an evil man who's, a, you know, assassin, killing people, doing all these things, right, and spreading war and destruction. He's like, no, I'm, I'm doing God's work. And he explains why he's doing God's work from a sincere place, even though he's a scary adversary in this <laughs> yeah. novel. And That's so, yeah, see that as a Sith. One could argue that. I know well, it's, it's just the, of the theatrics of it and how mysterious he was, and it was almost a supernatural scene and stuff like that. You know, because the guy's terrified of him. Yeah, you know, and, 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 and he and he was even the we have accounts. Marco Polo wrote accounts about him, of legends he heard about the yeah. old man mountain that were all supernatural and stuff. And you know, it's a guy who was um, even Europeans heard of this guy, right? He was right, right. Musical figure that was very scary uh but yeah but a, a, i was saying a friend of mine who is part of the ismaili sect from which this group uh, you know descends right they uh they were very uncomfortable with that scene because again it, it's from the point of view of of saladin who's a traditional sunni muslim and this jewish rabbi this guy is evil right yeah yeah and and but he explains his point of view and my Ismaili friend was like, you know, of the, of the new Ismailis who are hanging out with movie stars and very relaxed and got beautiful mansions in Beverly Hills. They're like, well, I, I don't think this is fair. I'm like, uh, it's how this character would have thought in the, in the 12th century. It's not how you think today, but this character thought that way. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about, you know, it, it is the difficulty of having any kind of empathy of what are trying to understand the viewpoint of one you're not familiar with, even when they're talking critical of what you see as representative of your own. Mm -hmm. I mean, an example, I guess, was like a, a, there was a documentary on the Crusades. And uh, so you had different viewpoints and you had a Muslim commentator on it. And he was talking about Saladin mm -hmm. and ultimately his confrontation with Richard and whatnot. So he was highly critical of Richard because <laughs> Richard, <laughs> Richard had, had Richard had <laughs> right. It's what you expect. And he, Richard had his. Uh, hostages you know that he said hey you know give me my demands or i'll slaughter them all Yeah, the and very so, famous slaughter of Acre. he basically took a whole city yeah, and killed so he killed them all yeah, and so happened. he says there was no need for that and all he was you know very okay well then there was a scene now this was more on the part fault of the leadership of the knights templar but they'd mm -hmm. gone into this stupid battle against solid and there was no way they were going to win they were parched and all this and it was easy for him to take them out 
Oh yeah, yeah. That, and, that's and, that's the opening scene, Hatin, where he basically he led them into the desert, and yeah. then and yeah. basically so, the Muslims had the water. These guys didn't have the water. They were going to be finished. They were finished. Yeah, right? yeah. And was, that's what happened. I mean, yeah, exactly. Them in the desert. They surrounded them, lit fires, and they. <laughs> And, and, and they like, lost. And yeah, they that's, lost. Yeah, yeah, that's the end of the Ridley Scott's movie, Kingdom of Heaven. That battle. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's okay. how that's how Saladin conquered Jerusalem. Was that famous battle? And you know, and he was quite merciless towards the. He was he was famed for being a very merciful sultan, right? Famed mm-hmm. for it. But when it came to after that battle, all those Templars and hospitals. Oh, he killed every last one of them. He, yeah, he, every killer, and because they were a threat. Whereas yeah. the average Christian of Jerusalem was not a threat and was given amnesty. Right, right, which, right, right. Which the Crusaders had not well, the done. citizenry and whatnot. Yeah, that sort of thing. Well, the Crusaders, when they took it, they killed everyone, including all the Christians, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Like, it was like the Christians are like, like, oh, brown. <laughs> they're all brown. They killed everybody. They, I mean, they killed, they killed yeah. like, all the, the Christians. Like, we're Christians. Yeah, I, I don't know. Whatever. And they kill you. Look brown to me. It's good enough. And they killed them all. That's not what Saladin did, even though the people of Jerusalem thought that's exactly what he was going to do because they had done it. Right, right. right. So they expected it. But with the, with, the, with the Templars, he was like, no, you guys are fanatics. There's no way out of the situation. <laughs> You're dead. Well, there's also the problem of where does he put them? How do you keep them? What do well, you do? You can't have prisoner of war camps in that situation. Anyway, well, they would have died anyway. Have, I mean, you could. I so, mean, there's a lot of very strict rules of prisoner of war. But these guys, yeah. were, they, again, here's it. These were dangerous ideological fanatics, right? What yeah. do you do with them? They're, they're not people... They are the Templars. Well, the and Templars were hardcore. The other... They were, yeah, really into the rest yes, of the Crusaders I mean, were mercenaries and stuff like that. But, which but is why you had a lot of them. What do you do with them? And he's yeah. like, he's like yeah. I can't, I can't. I mean, if if I let these guys, if I trade them away, I hold them as prisoners, hostages. I trade them away like ransom, right? Mm-hmm. I can do that. He did that with some of the, a lot of the other prisoners. You know, the other soldiers were ransomed away. The kings were ransomed that were captured. But yeah, just, yeah. But it's like these guys, like no, these guys are just going to keep coming back and attacking. <laughs> It's like the Terminator. They're not going to stop. So I'm just going to yeah. – I'm also going to show everybody I'm not messing around here. I'm merciful. I'm merciful, but I'm not weak. And now – and this is done. This kind this kind of fanaticism is done, right? That was – and he said, I'm going to I'm going to show all of you that I'm not scared because you all think I'm this generous, loving, merciful guy, but I also got this side of me. And yeah, that, yeah, he had to – yeah, yeah. Now, at the same time, the, the I forget the guy. I'm forgetting the guy's name, but he was the leader, the, the – what do they call him? The grand something or other. Damn it. Well, I talk about in the early in the early part of the novel. The when the when no, no, not the novel. This is the actual guy who led the Templars into that battle to get them all slaughtered. And then Solomon spared uh, him at that point. uh, uh, Well, there was Raynal. He was Raynal. Yes, yes, he's the one. And he tried. So then he comes back to do it again. He said, "No, not this time, foul." Well, 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 (laughs) Raynal, he he held him prisoner. But then uh, Raynal was had killed Saladin's sister. Had done all kinds of (laughs) and and so there's a famous. It's actually shown in. It's a historical moment. It's brilliantly shown in. uh, It's also in my novel. It's opening scenes of my novel, opening chapters. But it's also in Kingdom of Heaven, where historical moment where the king of uh, uh, King Guy, uh, who was the last king of Jerusalem, had been captured along with the, the Reynolds, the Lady of the Templars, right? And mm-hmm. uh, the Battle of Hatin that we talked about. And they were captured and they were held. And Saladin came in. This is historical. He gave uh, a glass of water because these people are parched. They don't have any water. He yeah. gave them a glass of ice water <laughs> to, uh, to the king Right, who then passed it to Reynald because giving the thing of water meant you're under my protection. No one's going to hurt you, right? And right. so he gave it to Reynald, and, and so I was like, I didn't give it to this guy. You gave it to that guy, right? He, you know, <laughs> have to convince me not to kill him because he's he's a dangerous thing. He killed my sister. He's a yeah. crazy, dangerous fanatic. And then Reynald basically decided 
the, I'm going to show him how how proud I am. He starts like talking back to Saladin and talking smack to him. And I killed your sister and your your religion sucks. Whatever. And it's just like, dude, you're a prisoner in this guy's thing. He's like, all right, Saladin's fine. He's like, just kill him. Yeah. <laughs> just kill him. Get rid of this guy. Because he. But that's the example. This is the leader of the Templars. They're not going to stop, right? right but he right. spared the king. He spared the king. He said, look, you and I can make a deal. This clown, you can't make a deal with this clown. He doesn't want a deal, right? So yeah. he's dead. <laughs> that's war it is it's it's got its heroes it's got its monsters and it's got its idiots like Renault. <laughs> yeah well Renault. i mean many would argue and i talk about it in my novel Renault is who the man who destroyed the, the christian kingdom because he Y'all was pretty, so yeah. extreme he was so extreme the, the 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 king was like calm down because he was attacking the muslim caravans outside of the holy land he was trying to get he was trying to get Saladin to retaliate so he could take on Saladin. He was just his ego. Yeah, and he yeah, actually yeah. did an attack into Mecca and Medina, the sacred cities of Islam. He actually sent soldiers to try to attack that. It's like, yeah. the king's like don't do this. this yeah, is no, you're stirring up the world. hornet's nest. <laughs> exactly. 100 years, we've had the Muslims fighting each other and they ain't fighting us. You yeah, attack yeah. Mecca, you go after Medina and try, he was going to go like desecrate the prophet's mosque in Medina. You go do that stuff. It's going to unite them, which is exactly what it did. Saladin then united Egypt and Syria had been fighting each other for 100 years. Right. That's why this country in between, the Crusader Kingdom, was fine. It was completely <laughs> fine because these two guys are fighting each other. So after this, Saladin's like, this guy just attacked the Prophet's mosque. Everyone rallied to me. Yeah. And they all <laughs> to him. And then, then, then the whole area is united. And Reynolds like, oops, uh, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, it's just one of the biggest idiots of history. Yeah, no, he, I mean, the Crusader Kingdom would have survived maybe another several decades. With awesome. this one yeah, yeah. Couldn't stop. And that's what happened. <laughs> And, that's and again, all for bragging rights and whatnot. I yeah, mean, yeah. I, it's just testosterone and religious you know, fanaticism melded with that. And that's the point of my novel is that the enemy isn't Christianity. King Guy isn't, isn't King Guy isn't Saladin's enemy. Because yeah, not he, really. He was, he, no, yeah, he would adversary. rather make the deal. He would he rather make a deal. And, you know, but... he, and he's, and he's going to give this guy his honors and peace with the people. But, you know, he, the religious fanatic, the terrorist, you, there's yeah. no reasoning with this dude, right? He doesn't want to be reasoned with. And yeah. so you do what you got to do. <laughs> and that's perhaps the lesson I was trying to do with the novel, which I think it worked. Yeah, it did. And I mean, were you looking at it to be a film or a, or a series or either well, one? Like I said, it was a screenplay. It was a screenplay. Yeah, that's right. Screenplay. Yeah, it's it's a film it was meant work. to be a, a, a movie. God willing, it will be a, a movie someday. Uh, years ago, I was approached by a producer that wanted to do a, a TV series about Richard the Lionheart and Saladin. I said, well, guess what? I've already have a novel and a screenplay on it, right? And I read it. He's, and he read it. He goes, oh, my God, this is perfect. Well, what's your idea for a show? So I met with him, and I laid out a 10-episode version of how to do the same story, but stretch it out over 10 episodes and add all these other characters, like Rome. Like, let's, right, find, out, right, let's right. find out more of some of the average soldiers. Like, in, in the novel, you've got You've got William, who's sort of the commander of, yeah. of, so he's higher up. He's still a general, right? Let's see, like in Rome, let's see average soldiers. Let's see their struggles in this war. And and so I laid it all out. He's like, this is brilliant. This solved it. Yeah, let me find somebody more famous than you. That's literally what he said. He's like, you're not famous <laughs> enough for this. You're so he goes off. No, no, and he goes off. And again, his idea of fame is whatever whatever is popular. It's all like Kathleen Kennedy. Whoever's popular that week was his idea of fame. So right. he tore me down. 
even though I'd already cracked the story and knew it inside out and made it instead went and partnered with a gentleman. Remember that, that Ben Hur remake that was done. Oh Remember God. That? Yeah. So that guy, he, <laughs> Ben Hur had just, I mean, like, why are you remaking Ben Hur? But you remake Ben Hur and Ooh, that guy's hot new writer. He just remade Ben Hur. So he made a deal with that guy. I was like, well, good luck. He ain't going to crack this. He didn't crack this. And that guy, that guy vanished. Like there's always the flash in the pan, like a new screenwriter makes his movie, then disappears again. I was like, dude, I've yeah. been, I spent ten years of my life already on this story, right? And and you're gonna you're gonna get this random dude who's quote unquote more famous than me because he he made one poorly received movie, so he's more famous than me. But all right, he's Jeez. more famous than today. Is he more famous? I don't think I don't I don't think he's more famous than me right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that explains a lot about Hollywood, of course. It's not really that surprising. <laughs> But, but that, that's but also still, sort of how, going back to Star Wars, that's how Kathleen Kennedy approached it. You know, when Colin Trevorrow was cool, you know, he had just right. done Jurassic World. Oh, my God, we want you to do Star Wars episode 10 or 9, whatever the hell it was, right? The final end. And then, and, the, and then he made one crappy indie film that was poorly reviewed, and she yanked him. God, because I mean, even and, his his redone version for the, for the, the third film, I thought was that I would much rather see. I still don't like what all they did, but I think that fixes a lot of things. It had yeah, far it more was... spectacular scenes in it, and the, the there's actually a battle between Darth Vader and Dar and uh, Kylo in it. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> you know that, all that, that stuff. So, and, and what's amazing in in, in, in that never filmed. Uh, Colin Trevorrow, episode nine, called Duel of the Fates. I love that script. Uh, and what was amazing to me was the, uh, you know, what was the character we love we love to hate in uh, in Last Jedi, the poor Asian woman? What was, it, what was the character's name again? Oh, the, oh uh, Rose Tico. Rose Tico, Rose Tico, Rose Tico. So uh, brilliant actors given a terrible script. Right. And given, and a beautiful actress made to dress up in a I know, they put her in a potato This sack. woman is stunning. <laughs> but, you know, you can't yeah, she's her, a beautiful you can't yeah. I mean, you can't have outshine Ray, who is the who is the well, yeah, okay. of, of Kathleen Kennedy. You can't yeah, have it's Kathleen Kennedy's woman outshining this this uh, you know attractive British woman. Right? <laughs> so you can't have that, right? Uh, there's only one thing in Hollywood that white women fear more: it's the hot Asian woman. They fear that, right? Okay. And so you know, that's that, that's the one thing that. So so, but yeah, Rose Tico was the most interesting character in in that. Uh, in that script because she was if you remember she was a spy she was spying she infiltrated yeah. the first order and Actually you're like gave her something to do yeah and i was like <laughs> yeah. i was reading the script i was like hey let's get back to rose i don't find what's going to rose right i mean that's it's just because again those characters were just badly treated and if you just give them a story those actors would have would have i mean look at the, the poor actors so you know yeah, kelly Tran who did this uh, she got nothing in in this uh no, rise of the walker yeah. I mean, how shameful it is. I'm sure if I know about it, she knows what the scenes were that she could have had, you right. know, in the other movie. And she knows she wasn't given that. That would have been a break for her. Yeah, it's a shame, really. I guess Oscar Isaacs is doing all right and Adam Driver, but the rest of them pretty much got ruined. It's unfair. It's completely unfair because it's not, not their fault. They were, it was a good cast. Yeah, they, they were good. Cast. They could have done great with those. And uh, especially the biggest letdown was Finn. I mean, there's clearly a development there in that first one. And then just treat it like a clown afterwards. Well, it's but just that's a, the that's the progressive racer I'm talking about. Yeah, we got the black guy there. Now he's going to play the clown. Yeah, he's going to play the minstrel. Right, that's the deep hidden racism of giving this guy instead of uh, the heroism that we thought we were getting. This guy is is literally turned to a laughing stock joke. Right, and it's shameful. He's just running around chasing the white woman. Ray, Ray. I mean, it's shameful. <laughs> it's degrading. And yeah. and he said it finally. He said it. That it was yeah. degrading. Yeah, it was interesting because I think there was some back and forth between him and a fan, either on Twitter or Instagram or something like that. 
And he said, well, I didn't realize people, the fandom was that upset about how that character was treated. He said, yeah, that's right. We're actually on your side, <laughs> you know, and uh, that kind of thing. But it is, yeah, it's true. Uh, it's either that he's a clown or he's, he would have been another uh, super duper pooper scooper uh, a god like character like Ray was, you know, that kind of thing. But instead, she was oh, there. Yeah. So he had to be the clown so that she exactly. could be. Well, the, that's the other racist trope is the that's the other racist uh, trope is that, uh, you know, is that uh, the the magical black man, you know, that's the right. Racist right. Yeah. It yeah, goes back yeah. to slavery, you know, and, and where where, you know, the 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 slave was seen as this magical otherworldly figure that the children would come and they would come to the fire. <laughs> yeah, he would tell them stories from Africa, whatever. Yeah. And that reflects a historical reality, but it also reflects the mindset uh, of, uh, you know, and that's the thing is, you know, there actually was magic and mysticism in West Africa. My my spiritual teachers, Sufi teachers on West Africa, it's a real thing there. But it but the mindset in film has always been this magical black person, which comes out of that mindset, which is again, the how about a normal black person with their struggle? <laughs> right. They're either either a comedy or then they're like Obi-Wan, this infinite wisdom, right? How about a human being? How about yeah. a human being? Right? Like like Malcolm X, who has a journey. I mean, let's have his journey, right? And so that's what Hollywood is afraid of. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's just one of those things where it always grates on because I would be the target. They'll tell you that I'm the Islamophobe and uh, I'm the the white supremacist and all this sort of stuff. Well, I mean, as as as, as twenty two years in Hollywood, I'll tell you, there's nothing more. There's no more bigger Islamophobes and anti-Muslim bigots than the people who call themselves progressives in this town, right? And right. and the perfect example I'll show with you is, you know, like my neighbor right now, my my neighbor, lovely, lovely neighbor, she, you know, nice person, works in Hollywood, uh, you know, and but she has the standard sort of progressive it's literally her sign is still up on her window right now which is the resist trump sign but with a muslim woman in the hijab is the symbol of resistance to trump right and <laughs> and i was like oh so the, the 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 hijab is a good thing it represents resistance to trump but the moment biden's elected oh we all gotta burn our hijabs these poor women in iran are wearing their hijabs gotta set them on fire i was like well the hijab's a bad thing now <laughs> so, yeah 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 <laughs> there's no consistency to that the consistency is you use them as you need them right <laughs> Right. That's all it was. It was just something <laughs> to be used and all that. And uh, yeah, the, the left is always considered like Islam is their, just their standard go to for that's the faith of the third world. And so the well, third yeah. world are the ultimate underdog and victims and all that stuff. But so, even, so but, like, if, but if, even if you, you I'm, I, think I heard you speak to this, if you come into the room and say, yeah, but it's not exactly like that. Who the hell do you think you are talking to me like that? <laughs> no, <laughs> well, no, he was the one who would know. You so know? Let's clarify. Mu Muslims are useful to the extent that they're perceived as the brown person minority that's being oppressed by the white supremacist nationalist, blah, blah, yeah. blah. So they're useful targets for They're useful tools for that. But the reality is Islam is a pretty conservative religion. I know. And, you know, that we, we, um, we, whether one likes it or not, the reality is most Muslims are quite resistant towards the current LGBTQ trans narrative, <laughs> quite resistant to it. It's not something that's going to really penetrate this community, right? Which is right. remarkable. It doesn't have a centralized church. It's just sort of the universal values of this community. So it's been – and that's exactly the thing. It was like once you no longer need them to fight the white supremacist nationalist thing, it's like, oh, well, this religion, <laughs> this religion's a real problem for our social agenda. Then it becomes the enemy, right? So – yeah, yeah, that's what that's, and I, I don't mean that. Oh, you got to be scared of the Muslims, or they'll blow you up your your place or what? 
<laughs> something like that. It says, no, what happened was, is they got a lot of these parent teacher meetings going on the school board meetings and whatnot. And a lot of these parents were outraged about the material that was being forced on their kids and all this stuff. And in one of them, this Muslim father stands up and he says, this is nonsense. You know, you're not teaching my kids this. And, and they were all like, happy to happen, happen, happen. You can't accuse him of being a white supremacist. Now, can you, <laughs> you well, know, but, but those are the values he has. And you have more in common than you realize if you would just talk to the man, you know, and that's yeah, and, and that, in Michigan right now. And you've been even see mainstream press being to talk about it, in Michigan, which is a very large Muslim community, particularly in Ann Arbor. Right. Uh, right. Right. Community. And uh, and so Michigan, there's been alliances between conservative Christians, conservative Jews and and, and I don't even say conservatives, regular Muslims. Right. Alliance, <laughs> alliance because against a lot of the what is being taught in public schools. I've watched I've watched fascinating uh, videos of uh, of like you know, public, you know, PTA, public school meetings where parents are confronting teachers. What is this garbage? What is this book? What are you telling my kid? You you told my boy he's a girl, whatever, all this stuff. Yeah, and 50% yeah. of the room are, are these dudes wearing, you know, the, the, the topi and the, the beard, the Muslim guys. And then women in <laughs> jobs sitting there, right? The job that's fighting Trump. They're sitting there like, what are you telling our kids, right? And, so, yeah, and yeah. you see this alliance that's happening on social values uh, because it's it's just, it's not going to penetrate. I was just watching um, a, you know, a talk by a very famous uh, imam who's very beloved in the community, very spiritual man. Uh, he's actually he's a, he's a white convert, right? He's a, he's a, mm. he's a, so he's American. His blood man is probably ancestors gave him the Mayflower, right? But he's talking, <laughs> he's talking, and he was giving this talk, and he was actually giving this talk. He was in Africa. And he was giving this talk to the African people, and he was just like, "Yeah, we're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna let this this uh, this uh, rainbow narrative into our communities and to our children. We're just not gonna let it happen, right?" And right. everyone's like, "Yeah, that's awful. We're not gonna let that happen either." And they're all, like, I mean, and this is a beloved, considered a mainstream imam that politicians want to go to, and then suddenly he's like, he's saying this pretty open. He's like, "Yeah, this this ain't for us. We're this we're not gonna participate." In this. And it's largely the the perspective. I mean, there's always a minority of people like, ah, I want to fit into whatever the culture is today, but they're going to remain a minority. And that's going to become an increasing problem in the same way that many progressives now in America are seeing Latinos as a threat because they're like, oh, let's right. bring in Latino immigration. Like, oh, these guys were voting Republican. What? What? Yeah. What? <laughs> you forgot. They don't like Latinx. Product. What? They're very devout Catholics. Uh, they, you know, from primarily not all, but I mean, you know. Well, that's why but, you've got this now. The, big the Latino, uh, the uh, the or not the Latin X. Latin, you know, oh, that was never. Oh, well, but now the Latino white supremacists. That's a new thing, right? Yeah, I know the Latino. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh that, how's Latino that going to work? You know, it's just, oh, jeez, because you you they reduced everybody to the superficial, and it didn't expect that that could bite them on the ass. And uh, well, it did. So, but it's you know, but that's one of those narratives that uh, th that uh, I, I would hope more people pay attention to. Uh, you know, uh, during the war on terror <laughs> years well, I, I and think all that. that now. Oh mean, yeah, it's all passed by now. We've got bigger fish to fry. Yeah, there, there's. I mean, and, there's, still, there's still people out there. Islam is the threat. I was actually on a. Right. I, I mean, they're but they're not even the mainstream of conservative talk right now. They're just no, not. no, no. They're not, and they used to be the norm, right? I remember because most Muslims were 
voting Republican until the Republicans said, oh, you we don't want you in the party. So he went to the Democrats. Democrats <laughs> like, we want you. We want you to change your religion, though. And they left that. And then <laughs> back the Republicans were not willing to take them. Like, oh, we want you guys. Yeah, we are. <laughs> so so but but I was on a video conversation with a friend of mine, Carrie Smith, um, you know, who's very prominent. Oh, um, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, yeah, she unfortunately had someone who was of the older camp, who was more of the uh, the Reynault Christian, who had a very <laughs> passionate ideology about, you know, her definition of uh being a Christian meant hating Islam. It was never about, well, what did being a Christian mean and actually in your practice of how to be like Christ, right? In her right, right. old was, I'm against this thing. So, I mean, I was like, so are you actually a Christian or just an anti-Muslim? It <laughs> was just identifying as a Christian, right? But right. that was, and it was an ugly conversation because she was still living in that world. I'm like, well, you know, I, I'm not your enemy. You want, you don't want me as a friend. That's fine, but I'm not your enemy. You've chosen to put me in that box, but I ain't there with you. I'm yeah. not your enemy. So, but she, but you know, but I think that's the minority now. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because even in the darkest days, you know, I would get angry and stuff like that. But I, my intellect was always there, and I always knew it's like the simple rule: there's good and bad, and everything. It's the bad ones you got to worry about. Sure. And that's, <laughs> and that's like you novel. can't you can't hold Muslims responsible for Al Qaeda and the like. Well, and and also and, uh, it's, the, the problem is this: you know, what people say, there's a there's now at this point there's almost two billion of us, right? Yeah. And we won't have a centralized church. This is very hard for, I think, many Christians to understand because every branch of Christianity has some kind of church. It's a Catholic church, Orthodox church. Even the evangelicals have centralized churches from which they expand out, right? Pentecostalists. Mm-hmm. There's no, there are mosques, but they're individual. There's no centralized authority in Islam. There's no pope. There's nobody in charge. And so in that, you, you know, you got two billion people and you got a couple of thousand dangerous people out of that. What's that point zero 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 one percent of the population is yeah. is what you call terrorists, right? Who obviously are not normative Muslims. And the very fact that they have not been able to because if all of us were if this was Islam, the whole planet would be finished. I, know. <laughs> I mean, even just let's say there's there's but there's a percent even the current conservative estimates there are three million Muslims. I think a lot more than that. Three million Muslims in America. If three million Muslims were a physical threat to their neighbors, the whole country would be up. It would be. Oh, yeah. Done. yeah it's done. You finished. Three right. million people, physically dangerous people. You know, one of the central teachings of Islam, people know that the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said, said, you know, a man, a, a man or a person cannot be a Muslim if their neighbor is is afraid of them. It's not possible. If your neighbor feels insecure around you, it didn't say your Muslim neighbor. If your neighbor feels unsafe from you, you are not a Muslim. I mean, that's it. That's the, that's it. Yeah. I mean, it's as simple as that. I mean, because you are, if you're a threat to your community, you are not a Muslim. It cannot be. And that's how the vast majority of, of 2 billion people see it, <laughs> right? And so, and then you got a couple of thousand crazy people out there, just like the Crusaders were a few thousand crazy people. You know, most Christians, had they known that the Crusaders were killing children and eating them, would probably say, I don't think that's right. <laughs> Yeah, they, probably. I don't think that's Christianity. <laughs> I don't think cannibalism is what Christ taught. I don't think that's right. <laughs> but they didn't know, right? So, <laughs> but it's like, well, what's the more exciting in the press? Well, it's bombings and beheadings and stuff, sure. rather than you had Muslims who protected Christians from against the Boko Haram. They wanted all the Christians off a bus. All, I mean, they wanted to stay on the bus. They wanted the Muslims to get off. They were taking the Christians. Yeah. The Muslims said, "No, we're not leaving them." And well, so that, and they, so that's the kind of thing. And I was like, I was like, what I say, like the Christianity was a lot of this. Hey, I see Christ in you. And I said, yeah, I've seen that in Muslims. I've seen it. 
Well, and now, again, as I, himself said, you will know them by their fruits, right? Their right, actions. right. And, well, that's, and, and there's there's a scene in my novel, which is historical, which is the event when Richard did that horrible massacre of women and children in Accra, where he just killed 3,000 people when Saladin couldn't meet the exorbitant ransom demand, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so he did that. It was a it was an te- act of terror. I'm going to show you. I'm just going to kill all these innocent people, 3,000 of them, line them up, behead them, right? You know, yeah. and he and the end, it was so shocking by the moral standards of the time that there were anti-Christian pogroms throughout the Holy Land because people were so angry. Are Christians doing this, right? And Saladin himself, when there was a pogrom beginning against Christians in Jerusalem, where a mob was descending on the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. This is historical. And Saladin rode out to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and stood there on the ground of the sepulchre with Heraclius, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the Christian patriarch. And held up his hand and said, anyone who attacks this church or any Christian is attacking the sultan, right? Right. And that happened. So if you attack him, you have attacked me and it's death penalty, right? And he dispersed the mob. So a mob came and this guy said, no, as a Muslim, I'm not going to let my Christian brother be attacked, right? right. That's historical and is in my novel. Yeah. If only uh, Solomon could have lived much longer than he did. <laughs> no, but again, he's just, he's a reflection. I would like to believe he yeah, was yeah, a reminder yeah. To Muslims as well, that look, you know, be the best that you can be, right? right That's right. why he's still revered even by his adversaries. Because oh, yeah, I mean, he's bigger than George Washington is here over there, you know. I mean, that's you know, and he I was mean, he was like that to the. I mean, imagine the Crusaders were like, I don't, want, I don't want to fight this guy. Like, right, like right, yeah, he was a legend already. He's like, he's time, like, where, 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 where there's a battle, and then at the end of the battle, he sends us like sweets. And he's, and he's just like, <laughs> there's like there was a wedding happening in one of the towns that there was a, a, the battle, and he stopped Saladin stopped the battle and sent over wedding presents to the Christian couple. I mean, this demoralized the Crusaders. Like, <laughs> yes. I, I can't kill him now. <laughs> yeah, that's I love the guy. And again, and that is not about Islam. That's that's what human beings should be like. Right. That's right. why we honor people like George Washington. We honor these great statesmen in history who showed mercy and wisdom. There's a reason they're they're in the annals of history, right? That we yeah. remember them. And so because they reflect that you can be better than this. There's a reason we look at Eisenhower with such great respect because Eisenhower did not want to kill innocent people in World War II. He hated war. He fought the war. And right. the war was always like, I never have a war again. War sucks. I'm not a pro-war guy. Yeah. There are people that throughout history that were again. Even look, even look on the villainous side. You got Rommel. Rommel was the, the leader of the Nazi army in North Africa. And mm-hmm. by all accounts, he was a decent human being who finally was like, oh crap, I'm working the wrong side. What do I do? He tries yeah. to kill Hitler and he fails and he has to kill himself. Although right. Hitler was going to kill his family, right? But Rommel, even Patton's like, this guy's a better general than me. And he's yeah. a better person than me. Better person, <laughs> yeah. Rommel. Patton's one of those guys, you got to have him in wars, but you got to keep him on the leash. <laughs> no, you got to keep him under control. But, but yeah. again, Patton would never, this is the difference. Patton would never even think of, of assassinating the president of the United States. It wouldn't have occurred to him, right? No, no, yeah. Whereas Rommel's like, okay, I got to get this Hitler guy out of here. It's yeah. wrong. It's wrong. I'm on the wrong side. You know, and and he was at the height of his power when he did that, right? He still controlled North Africa. And so imagine being that guy who's a, who's the br- most brilliant military mind of the century, that Patton has to read his book to understand him, right? Yeah. And then, and then he's like, "Oh crap! My my boss is the bad guy. I'm on the bad guy side. How do I stop this guy?" Right? Yeah. That's a horrible moral conundrum to be put into. And that's the story of life. You know, that's <laughs> what happens all but the that's time. That's the story, by the way, of 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 in the, the shadow. Of this. Yes, and, and I, William is like my 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 friend is the bad guy of the story. How do how do I how do I get right? Him William is path? yeah. He's the, how know, do the I get him off the path? He's, the, he's on the wrong path. 
Well, here's the hope that somebody will pick it up and something uh, for either show or film. Uh, that I think that would be fantastic. God, well, in time. In but time. in the meantime, I encourage everybody to check it out uh, wherever you get your books. Uh, to check out Shadow of the Swords by yeah, Cameron Pasha. Tale and, of the and, Crusades. And and I, and in general, people like it. That's what I'm proud of. People tell me that it's it's an entertaining novel, and that's that's all. It is. I, it is. That's all I seek to do. You know, there's moral teaching and ideas in there, but it's not preachy. I think. No, no, and I, it, it's a fair to take. It's it's fanciful, of course, the romance and everything. But so what? That's the entertainment. <laughs> it's a it. I mean, I, at some points, I wondered if you thought of Miriam as a sort of a, a symbol of Jerusalem between the two. Yeah, that is, that is, she's archetype. Okay, There's yeah. This character, yeah. this spy Miriam, who is a Jewish woman who's spying for Saladin against Richard, and yeah, which yeah. Is historical Saladin did use Jewish spies. Yes, uh, that, yes, they were quite a few Jewish spies in his army, uh, and and so we, that's historical. And then you know, and women have always spied throughout history because they're effective spies. They're better spies. <laughs> oh boy, are they? <laughs> women understand intrigue. Men, you got to train them. <laughs> <laughs> it's not intuitive for us. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty helpless before them. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Cameron. Thanks for doing my my show. I hope to do it some more. We could talk about paranormal stuff and uh, also I just Islam in and of itself i think it's always going to be oh, fascinating we can combine them we can talk about sufi mysticism genies uh paranormal things from the muslim world stuff people that haven't heard of i'm happy to bring that up and just talk general paranormal because i love i love that stuff yeah it's always cool and so we'll we'll get there at some point but anyway uh he, do check out uh, cameron's patreon uh for all kinds of uh juicy insider stuff <laughs> that comes and goes sometimes before you hear it from anywhere else quite yeah. a few and uh, also, if you fancy yourself a writer, you can also get some tips and help from Cameron on that as yeah, I well. Do, I do offer consulting services through the Patreon. And, you know, a couple of dozen people have taken advantage of it. And some of them have gone off to one has been a successful novel that's selling well right now. Another another one has winning awards on a screenplay. And so these are people on the Patreon who came to me and said, can you can you be my consultant on this and help them rewrite their material? And, and here they are. Excellent. All right, Cameron. Once again, thanks for doing the show. Thank you so much. The views and opinions expressed during the Mr. Nelson show do not necessarily reflect those held by RadioMisfits.com. So, any complaints and or comments should be sent to at Mr. Nelson on Twitter, where they will be promptly ignored and or blocked.